Impact. I'm Rich Pasqua, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with Adam Martin, co-founder of Macroverse, a multi-format entertainment studio that rewards its community, collectors, creators, and collaborators for supporting up-and-coming blockbuster franchises spanning comics, TV, gaming, animation, and much, much more. Welcome, Adam. I'm excited to have this conversation. Oh, me too. I'm excited to be here. You said it was like you know, you know, basically geeks, uh, geeks talking about geek stuff. I was like, that's 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 my life. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, a little bit of a you know, uh, a Web three spin, a technology oh, spin, uh, perhaps marketing and advertising. Who knows what we get into? But yes, we keep it. We kind of keep it uh, free form and flowing, uh, and that's the way that we like it. Conversational. So. Um, now, I mean, you know, the the optimal word in the in the intro to me was like comics, comics, comics. Obviously, TV. I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. Uh, you know, people get obsessed about these things, uh, and, yeah. and it's interesting because I started many years ago and actually published one of the first online digital comic books for. It was 2020. I'm sure someone beat me to it right. at some point. But um, uh, uh, 2001, and it was for the movie Pitch Black. Of course. Interesting. Yep. Yes. So we designed uh, the agency I was working with. We designed the uh, we designed the website. We helped them with brand and design and visuals and animation. And uh, we're, we were working with Peter Tui, the, the, the producer on the show. Yeah. And uh, we were getting the dailies. Literally, we were putting the, everything together as they were putting the, the movie together. Oh, and wow. we're like, you know what? This would be dynamite as a comic book. And we did. You know, um, It was called Slam City because right. Slam City was that giant floating uh, penitentiary that they had. Oh, right, of course. Yes, yes, yes. It's been such a long time since I've seen Pitch Black, but I remember loving it when I was like, why, Vin Diesel, who the hell is this guy? He's going to be a star, right? It was like, it was crazy. Exactly. That's exactly what we all said. We're like, we don't know who the heck this guy is, but man, he's like every man kind of character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and really interesting and, you know, uh, good looking, honky guy and Mm-hmm. Sure enough, uh, huge success. So oh, yeah. really interesting. And, you know, I'm slightly biased towards the comic book stuff. And so a lot of my friends, you know, they're even more of a geeks than I am. But um, I'd love to ask you, Adam, you know, how did you it looks like you've got a pretty rich history in the entertainment world, mm-hmm. the entertainment game uh, for some time now. How did you get involved in it? How, what was your what was your jumping off point? Kind of jumping off point. I honestly it was a combination of kind of luck and, and I think as so often the kind of family to some degree. So uh, I was very lucky. My mom was a film critic growing up and so we were always watching. She had this deal where, especially as a teenager, she was like, all right, we'll go and see Star Wars or whatever you want to see, but then we're going to go and watch like something classic. So, you know, I don't know. I saw my first Ingmar Bergman at the age of eight or something, which was way too young, but, but you know, that was... Um, but so that was always the trade-off. So I think I had this... I had this kind of ingrained idea of like, I love movies and I love talking about movies and I would you know discuss them with my parents and all these things. Um, and then I have older brothers by quite a jump. And one of them, I was kind of 
in university, I did physics and philosophy at university with an eye. I'd worked in a refugee camp for a while. Like I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the aid world. I'm going to, and my brother was at USC, had come out of USC and was like starting to direct and write. And he said, look, you don't seem to know what you want to do, especially why don't you come stay with me for a summer? I'll see if we can hook you up as a PA on a movie and then see if you like it because it's kind of fun. I moved to L.A., ended up as a director's assistant on this terrible little movie called Runaway Car. It was a movie of the week when those things existed. It was like Speed and a Dachshund, right? Like it was ridiculous. Um, and But I was director's assistant at a time when you could kind of do everything and it was this little low-budget, you know, non-union low-budget thing. And I just totally fell in love with this. I had a – Jack Shoulder was the director. He had done like The Hidden and Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and like – you know, good track record of great horror movies in the in the in the you know eighties, I guess, and um, I just fell in love. And and the first AD, the first assistant director on that movie was John Frankenheimer's first assistant, and he said, "Look, we we hit it off." And he said, "Look, if you can kind of figure out how to come back here, I'm starting up this movie George Wallace in the in the spring." Uh, you come PA, and and so I figured it out. Like we wrangled something. Came back and I met my wife on that movie. She she was John's assistant and had a small role in it. And uh, we got married three. We hooked up with a rap party. Got married three months later, and that was it. That was twenty six years ago and stayed. Um, and then just yeah, PA'd for a bunch of years. Worked my way up through the ranks to kind of assistant director through the DGA. So now I've been you know, first ADing for a long time. Lots of a ton of great shows and and uh, led me back around into kind of you know the more creative side of things at, at the same time. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's no straight path. Uh, to None, this stuff. right? And, uh, <laughs> a lot of, you know, a lot of my buddies and coworkers, you know, were like, how did you get involved with Nickelodeon and all these, like Mattel I worked with? How did you do that? I said, well, it's a little bit of like an accident meets, uh, I don't know. Yes. Um, I think and- it was also, honestly, I suspect you have that same thing that, that certainly we do that I feel has served me and my, certainly me and my business partner, Amber Matthews, are incredibly well, which is like, when you get an opportunity, we're like, yes. Um, I was like, oh, wait, yeah, no, of course we can do that thing. We do that all the time. And then we kind of leave a meeting and be like, okay, how do we do this? What do we do? We can figure, figure out how to do it. So say yes and then figure it out. And that, I think, has that, that kind of jump before looking attitude has occasionally got us in trouble. But most of the time it's got us kind of the next step and where we should be going, you know? Yeah, and uh, I think that's well well said, Adam. Because um, it it was a little bit of a jump. I had the skill sets to do all of the you know, the the, the direct creative and, and art direction and all that stuff. But there was you know I I helped create hundreds of games for all these shows. Wow. And uh, so by default, I became you know a game guy at right. some point. Right. Um, less on the development side and more on the storytelling and creative side uh, and gameplay side, leveling and all that stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's fascinating how you can kind of just get lost in that world. And I have friends that are still there. Half of my yeah. staff I hired are still there. Are still, um, uh, still in gaming? Yeah. They're in Nickelodeon, the MTV oh. networks, or maybe they moved around from uh, right. different channels or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but certainly Nickelodeon was the uh, the top gun. And, and uh, you know, Nick Jr. and all that good stuff, too. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a ton of great stuff. I mean, Nickelodeon is still producing some great content. I feel like they've been, you know, the, the Cartoon Network kind of gets the lion's share of the attention now. But, I you know, Nickelodeon was such a kind of pioneer in its own way. It's interesting. 
Yeah, they'll have another like renaissance, if you yes. will. And I, I think, you know, they should bring back some old shows, you know, yeah. uh, you know, Pete and Pete and there's all sorts of wacky live action stuff they did. Um, yeah, beautiful thing. And since we're on the topic of, you know, characters and storytelling and whatnot, uh, I mean, I don't ask this of anyone, but I will ask you, Adam, what got you what was maybe a character a comic book a movie anything what was that maybe when you were younger what was that character that pulled you into this world because if you're a comic person you know or or anything else you're you're kind of like it started when you were younger when did it yes. when did this butt off so this it's so i mean look i can trace it back i was four i believe when the first star wars came out so it's one of my early early memories is my mom taking me to see star wars and i remember being in awe and completely terrified by the monster and the trash compactor like that gave me nightmares um but so star like as a and i remember so clearly then seeing obviously a few years later like seeing empire and then going and queuing up at the odeon in leicester square to see Return of the Jedi and the, like just like so I think there was kind of a formative thing there but in terms of the comics especially um, I became obsessed with 2000 AD which is obviously a very much a kind of English comic not not I think nearly as well known in the States um, I became obsessed by that when I was at boarding school at the age of nine or ten um, in England and and the you know we could had a certain amount of pocket money, and that we could we were allowed to walk down into town to to the one comic shop to get our like two thousand AD for twenty five pence or whatever it was, and Judge Dredd in that I remember so clearly loving, but then also I think it was if you remember I don't know if you know two thousand AD, but if Strontium Dog was this huge one, Johnny Alpha and Strontium Dog, and he was this like outsider struggling on his own like everything that i kind of felt as this slightly kind of weird geeky kid at, at boarding school with my parents five thousand miles away around the world and i really identified with that and i think that that love of the love of comics came from 2000 ad a hundred percent and then that took you know kept going through high school waned a bit in university and then and then in la and coming back into that world you know 10 years ago um, having kind of established an entertainment. Yeah, yeah. That's the joy, and especially with kids, and I think having, you know, I learned to read, I mean, sorry, going back any further, I learned to read on Asterix, and then watching my son kind of doing the same thing, like the first book he really loved and got his teeth into was some of these old Asterix omnibuses, and that was great to see that kind of, that love, and now he's, he is, you know, he developed a love of, of, of the more, the kind of Marvel comics. And then actually now he's 60, almost 16 now, is heavily into manga. And, you know, we, you know, has a Kindle and reads manga obsessively. And it's, and it's, has introduced me to anime over the last couple of years. And I think I'd always slightly yeah. dismissed anime. And my God, there's some incredible storytelling <laughs> in oh, that it, world. You know, it's incredible. I love the old school stuff. You know, from the early '90s and whatnot. Uh, what was it? Uh, Blue Submarine, or was it Submarine Number Nine, or something like that? It was. I don't know that. Unbelievable hybrid, uh, traditional cell animation mixed with 3D, and it was just had a lot of. It was very lush, and the storytelling was great. And yes. No, but yeah, it, it it's interesting how how your taste evolves, and I think, you know, if I was to ask myself the a similar question. 
you know, it's interesting to hear you say about Star Wars because those are some of my earliest kind of entertainment memories. You know, uh, the ship, the trash compactor, the whole bit. It was just so inventive and well done. Um, but when it comes to comics, I was always into Spider-Man, like the, the regular Spider-Man, Marvel-y, you know, uh, Fantastic Four, all that stuff. Uh, then I kind of got, I really still have a, I'm kind of still a, a sucker for uh, Silver Surfer. Just love that story. No one has told it properly yet. This is my one gripe for the, the podcast. Please well, do yes, right. there have been a couple of terrible movies of those, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, you know, as I progress and got older, uh, you know, the subject matters tend to go a little darker, maybe a little bit more magical and got into the Sandman collection, Dave McKean. And yeah. it, that blew Sandman my mind. just sublime storytelling. I mean, it's so good. And I think it's, I mean, I love Neil Gaiman. I think he's got a few books that I love. I mean, if you, uh, and if you read um, The Graveyard Book, um, have you read that of his? It's basically, it's the Jungle Book. So it's the story of Mowgli, but told with this boy being raised by ghosts in a graveyard. Uh, um, just incredible. I mean, just phenomenal. And then, um, yeah, I mean, Nevermore, yeah. Never, Nevermore, Neverwhere, um, and Good Omens. I mean, I love Terry Pratchett. Always kind of grew up with Terry Pratchett. And so uh, uh, that, that book I love particularly. Yeah, I got to see him speak at, I don't know if it was, it wasn't Comic-Con, it was um, South by Southwest once. And uh, that was really cool. Just like, oh my gosh, like childhood hero. It's that, fun when you get to meet those people, right? You get to do that occasionally. It's that, yeah, you get to do those things that are, are really special. Yeah, and, and you know, being that we're talking about this, it's not easy because we talk to a lot, even though in the Web3 space, we talk to a lot of entertainment type of companies or gaming companies that are tethering different platforms together like mana games uh we all we we talk to often uh and they're wrapping uh leaderboards uh and and reward systems into um into a whole web3 you know tokenized uh world but it, it but at the end of the day when you talk about, we also talk to the the heads of solana and they're doing some really fun solana spaces uh their whole nft collections are are hinged around discovering and or supporting artists that are trying to make their way and you and i know that it, it's extremely difficult like it's it's difficult to illustrate it's difficult to write it's difficult to produce something right and then get it out there. And there is a huge support system, almost like the music industry, right? And ironically, I can see where you guys are going is very similar, but very different in a lot of ways um, to what the new Napster is doing, right? So we spoke to Jonathan Vizopoulos, the new um, um, CEO of Napster, and they're and opening up and, and it's really going to be less about, hey, we're an A&R company, uh, right. we're this big machine and we're gonna help support you and we're gonna throw marketing dollars at you that we expect back, by the way. Right, um, of course, yep. And they're letting the community support the, each other and create economies around uh, individual or groups of artists. And I think that's fantastic. And I think that's kind of where you're going, and and maybe you can open open up the the macroverse doors for us, and you know give us a little bit more about what you're doing over there. 
Yeah. Um, no, it, and I think it is. I mean, you, I think you're absolutely right. Like it is the 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 joy of this Web three space. I think is the opportunities that are kind of unique to it for artists. And I, you know, you certainly touch upon as well this. You know, the 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 kind of gumption that it takes to get any artistic endeavor out in the world. Like it's just you. you know, it takes it takes some courage. It takes skill. It takes all these things to get out there. And then I think what we did see a few years ago. Well, again, the kind of boom in two thousand one certainly was a ton of projects who you know they're a PFP project or they're something like they've got a great thing. They get a huge raise. They're doing really well. And then I would hear continually some iteration from the founders of. We've got all this stuff, and of course we're going to make a, a comic book and a movie and a game and a, and a TV series, blah, blah, blah. but what we're really focused on is this. And I'd always be like, hang on a second, you've just described five years of work in kind of a flippant sentence, you know what I mean? Like, I've spent d- decades in production. Like, I know what it takes to make a TV show. We've done a ton of animation. We've produced a bunch of... Like, that is lots of effort from highly skilled people trying to create these things. Um, and I think... And so that was part of the reason why we focused in on Web3, having started as a straight Web2 app. So like, I know, out out in the world, we've got it up on our iOS and Android right now. And we really started it for ourselves initially, having kind of, my partner Evan and I, having kind of written a couple of screenplays and got them optioned and, you know, kind of done the tours of the various things and realizing, wait, even if we sell something, it's going to end up on a shelf 99 times out of 100. It's going to end up a file on someone's computer. But if we go into comics and we can put a bit of our effort into that, well, at least then what we create will be out in the world. And so we're looking at the industry. We had produced a comic series called the, for the Boondock Saints movies uh, uh, 10, 12 years ago now. And that led us back into comics. Like, this is great. We love this process. We love, we love, kind of reignited our love of comics. And this traditional side of things is very, very broken. Like, we had a known IP. We had some celebrity attached to it. And we were still kind of beating our heads against the wall to some degree. It's like, oh, dear God, if, if we didn't have those things, what would we be doing? Um, we looked around. We felt like, yeah, the future is digital. Everything is going that way. This was, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and so, but we don't like any of the kind of applications for comics in, in digital moment. Like it tends to be, it's either a PDF and an iPad or Webtoons was kind of blowing up. It's like perpetual scroll. So at least that is native to, a, to the mobile device, but we still didn't feel like it gave us enough. And so we developed this tap story technique where it's literally like, great. I tap on one side of the screen and the story moves forward and I tap on the other side and it goes backwards. It introduces the element of time to storytelling. It introduces the ability to do real dialogue in a way that is you're not restrained by the, uh, you're not constrained rather by the physical space on a page. And then, so we kind of did that for ourselves kind of as an experiment. We're like, yeah, this works. Well, if we like this, it's going to work. Presumably other people will like this as well. And so we just started approaching other independent comics artists that we liked. We're like, all right, there's Marvel and DC are going to go do their thing. Webtoons is kind of YouTube in this perpetual scroll. Like, what's the HBO version of this? You know, where can we, how can we find, what can we do? What are the interesting projects looking for audience that we can monetize in a way that doesn't work on Webtoons, that isn't just the PDF and the iPad through Comixology, and then you're still trying to break through the noise of those environments? Um, And so, yeah, we basically, like, 
started reaching out. We obviously had connections in the comic industry, so we started reaching out for projects that existed. And then also interesting writers who had ideas that we could then pair with artists that we could bring and, and create stuff for this, this format. And then as the Web3 kind of world hit, we felt like, oh, wait, digital collectability in this kind of online world, well, those things just work. So now we can introduce this collectible element to the digital stuff that we're producing and then package those things with a view to ultimately coming out and producing physical books as well, not excluding the physical, but just kind of layering this thing. So you want to, you know, you want to read something on mobile? Great, we've got that. If you want to be kind of collect it digitally and you're into that world, great, we've got that. Um, and then obviously with you know, producing as well, producing physical books as well. Um, and what all those things then led us back around to, which has been really, really fun, has been, like, I think, the, the, the thing that excites us the most is this kind of community storytelling idea that comes from these PFP collections. Like, great, I bought this thing. I bought this Bushido or this... We're working with this team called the Wanderers. We're the Wanderers Project right now. It's a great sellout. They've got a huge, you know, large fan base doing really well, doing some really cool stuff in the gaming sphere as well. Bunch of people with these cool characters, not really sure kind of what else to do with them. And, and what we ended up doing is like, great, let us come in. We can teach basic storytelling within your communities. There are going to be people who are excited about telling stories about these characters. And then we will teach storytelling and then have people pitch stories around their characters that then the community votes on and the top 10 of those we're going to green light into these little two-page comics. And so these, this community gets to see this thing that I've got, that I love, that I identify with, now I get this story. And then most of them are amateur story storytellers. This is the first time they've really written anything. Um, but it's so exciting and it's so new and there's interesting ideas and you get these things come up. They're like, wait, I would never have thought to do that, but now here's this, and this maybe I love that. And then we put them with great comics artists, and we're in the process of producing around, uh, the, we're literally in the producing kind of artists are in production on on uh, a bunch of these shorts for for Wanderers right now. We've done that with Bushidos. We've done that with a project called the GSA. We've done that with our own series, a show called Dead Town, a series called Dead Town, um, and that excitement around from people who have kind of aspired to be storytellers but never quite known who never had quite had the parameters within which to tell the stories suddenly you get these outlets in this web three way and it's incredibly exciting sorry that was a very long answer to a simple question but i just it's it's something i get really enthused about you know it's all it's all good uh and like we were saying before there is no straight line with all these stories you know they yeah. they split off they come back together Yes. Uh, and I think it, it, it's really interesting because when I was at um, uh, Nickelodeon, we would always say, okay, you know, we'd have the pitch and the catch, right? So yes. TV would pitch to online, online would pitch back to TV, and it was all in support of storytelling and character development. Super smart, yes. Right, and extension, yes. it, yeah, so edutainment we used to call it um, because there was always an education spin, even if it was just light on all right. the games with the characters, right? Right. Um, mm -hmm. But we were extending the time a child or a teenager had with the characters uh, in much, much, yes. in, in much more depth, right? Yes. 
Yes. So, I, um, that's yeah. such a, that's so interesting because I think that's, uh, it's something we try and think about all the time. It's, it's not, it, it's not this idea of multimedia. It's this kind of multi-format experiencing that I think kids and fans in general really want. It's like, all right, you know, my, Eben has, my partner has a, has a uh, now 10-year-old daughter, right? But we would watch her from the age of like six, five. And if she was in a kind of Blue's Clues kind of day, it was like, great, I'm going to go, I'm going to watch the Blue's Clues, I'm going to watch this thing on YouTube, I'm going to go play this game over here, I'm wearing a t-shirt, I've got a hat, I've got these toys, and I'm going to... And like, her world became this thing. So it was just about interacting with this thing that she loved, totally agnostic of what am I doing, what's the platform, where am I didn't give a crap about any of that stuff. It was just, I'm playing with this thing. And I kind of remember, I mean, obviously, back in the day for us with Star Wars, was, I was obsessed with the little Star Wars figures. And I would read crazy. And of course, we didn't have any other outlets to plug into. But dear God, if I was an eight years old, and if I had the opportunity to go and, and watch Star Wars and play a Star Wars game and do it, I would have, I would um, probably thank God I didn't because I wouldn't have got anything else done, frankly. But but I think that's the, the very much the power of what you're talking about is, is that... You love this thing. Well, great. How do you create as many ways that fans can enjoy that thing as possible? Yeah, yeah. Well, well said. And um, it is about making that connection. And ironically, you you brought up your 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 partner's uh, daughter, uh, and you know perhaps your kids or other friends, family, and kids and whatnot. Uh, I've often it was it was funny when I moved out of moved from Brooklyn to back to Long Island. Uh, uh, the, all the kids in the neighborhood were like, I, I think he works for Nickelodeon. And you were like a rock star. You were some kind of rock star. But you, I'll meet people who are in their 20s, 30s, and they'll be like, you worked on Blue's Clues? I'm like, yeah, I, I worked with the show creators. Uh, I worked on Wow Wow Wubsy. I've got writer's credits for that. For uh, <laughs> We came up with an episode through a game. We took a game and made it into an episode. That's so awesome. We worked in reverse. And you'll hear these young adults going, I used to play your games right. all the time, nonstop. And that was when it was like there weren't so many. I mean, there were consoles, of course. But right. People were geeking out on online. You know, we were doing, uh, you know, isometric games and... and you know, 3D rendered snowboarding games with Door the Explorer, uh, and and people come back, and it, it just to prove the point that you're saying here is this stuff works. Um, as far as formulating mem good memories, the shows are one thing you never forget them, but they remember the games, and I'm always blown away. So, yeah. so it's about it's making that connection. So yeah, it's going to be so interesting with this generation now coming up where there's so much more, I kind of hate the word content, but I feel like that's the only applicable thing. That's like, there's, you know, I mean, certainly for me growing up in England, like there were three channels on television and we went to the movies once every couple of months. Like that was it, you know? And so, um, whereas now it's like, oh, there's a new great something coming every fucking week. Like... <laughs> This is, and part of me is incredibly jealous of that because I feel like this is a, this is the, the, just the joy of having that that richness of an experience. At the same time, I think no one thing, or it takes no one thing, is as important in this in 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 that way to some degree, or it takes a lot more for something to break through to be that kind of Star Wars thing, or that you know, whatever that might be. Yeah, and you're you're heading into a little bit of territory that I wanted was going to bubble up later, 
but it's really appropriate for now. Where do you find, where do you think the roadblocks are? Where do you think the challenges Hollywood, I don't, I don't even want to say Hollywood, entertainment, entertainment in general has? What do you think? Roadblocks, I think, so it's a, it's a great question. I think it's a very multi-layered answer, right? So I think there's entertainment in general, Hollywood in particular, I will say, but I think entertainment in general, it, it's stuck, the executives, a lot of the decision makers on the way up the ladder are stuck between two polarizing opposites, right? There is the fear of saying yes to something that flops, and the fear of saying no to something that's a runaway success somewhere else, right? And if you've done either of those things, you're in trouble somewhere. And if that happens a couple of times, you, you know, so it is like, it's like the Fox network, the Fox exec that said George Lucas could keep the merchandising rights, right? Oh, well, yeah, it was a short-term decision to save them a couple million dollars, cost them billions in the long run. You see that again and again. And I think that's, there is a such a challenge when you're trying to navigate that as a creator, coming up with something new that may be brilliant but looks a little too risky, you know, you look back, I mean, The Matrix was such a groundbreaking film, changed, you know, changed filmmaking in certain ways, changed, like, certainly expanded, did so many good things for the, for the entertainment industry, for film industry, I should say, that would not get made today. No one is greenlighting a new idea at $150 million, unless you're Chris Nolan, frankly. He can probably get away with doing that. Um, the Wachowskis, they'd done Bound before that, and like one other, like who the fuck are these guys? And they've got this crazy idea, and, and now, you know, like that would not happen <laughs> in this world. And I think that's really sad in a way, um, because I think it does, it, it constrains creators in a certain way. So I think that's that's one. And then I think on the other side is, there's obviously opportunities for outlets are infinitely expansive. But so then it becomes about how do I break through the noise of the billion hours of content on YouTube or on TikTok or on whatever, or the you know thousands of online comics that exist. How do I get my notice? And I think that comes back to something you mentioned earlier, which is the marketing side of it and the the... Yeah, just the, the, yeah, breaking through the noise. It's, you know, breaking through the static, becoming signal rather than static, you know, is a really challenging, is another huge challenge. Yeah, I think you hit on two very important topics. One is taking risks, really. Don't, yes. People are not doing that. And to your point about the Wachowski brothers and, you know, the Matrix and all that stuff, that no, was like, the oh, but yes. <laughs> you know, the, you know uh, the, yeah, exactly. Right. So, yeah, all good. Yeah, so... Um, you know, very risky, very alternative kind of storyline, which ironically is like, in a weird way, coming true. Oh, it, <laughs> uh, yes, it's completely right. It's very, very it's got that kind of Ender's Game vibe to it somehow. Yeah, <laughs> Ender's Game, another favorite. I love that book. The movie was so fantastic. Um, doesn't mean I want it to come true. <laughs> but, okay. but you, but the, the the second thing was, you know, even if you're that risk taker, you have to change that boardroom. You have to change the the marketing, the CMO or the CEO's mind on a specific character that could perhaps take you into darker waters or, or not, or could be a smash hit or it could fall on his face. But then there's the second thing and there, you know, how many, I often think how many great cartoonists or cartoon creators or writers are out there that are just not seen because there's a deluge 
of noise and static throughout the whole world. And, you know, yes, the Internet has something to do with it, but um, it's just overwhelming nothingness and very little gems, you know. Um, and my kids often, and I have to bring this up because, you know, the question was asked. Um, yeah, my kids are more critical of, of movies that you spend, you know, 12, 15, $20 a ticket for, uh, as, as we are as adults. So we just don't go out to see everything under the sun, but if something is part of a franchise or a character set or something that we like, we'll, we'll go definitely do it. But they are noticing that, you know, why, why is the storytelling so poor? And both my daughter and my son actually read, like they read more than they do watch, ironically, which is kind of an anomaly. But they get into the fantasy books. They get into, you know, Tolkien. They get into all of these, all of, I would say, the roots of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So... There's some interesting upsides to this, but I think um, I think the whole media landscape is changing and the way things are done. Um, the advent, and we can get into this a little bit later, Adam, the advent of AI, right? And how yep. that's helping uh, people from storyboard artists to commercial filmmakers, uh, you know, do their job or tell their stories. Yep. Um, but yeah, it, I, I think there's, there's a lot of change that needs to happen. And I think it's more of a, a mental shift. I think you have to not be dinged for being creative. Don't yes, ding someone exactly. for that. I think that's, I think that is, I think that that's another reason why we were kind of attracted to the comic space, aside from being fans, but it was also this thing of, I think the comics are a space where you can still take risks. And it's, the yes, there's some, you know, unless you are an artist, there is some financial outlay, obviously. Like, you've got to be paying someone to do something in there. But that you can, you know, the, the array of stories being told and interesting ones and humorous or dark or twisted or whatever it is, there's, there, are, there is an outlet in this medium in a way that I think is incredibly hard, either in live action anywhere or in animation, just because the expense and the barrier to entry there is so much greater. Um, and so I think that is something that, that attracts us to attracts us to the comics as a medium is we can you can still experiment and you can do it especially in these short forms like we're doing an increasing amount of short form kind of content. Forgive me, there is a massive thunderstorm breaking outside, so you get the occasional flashes. It's there's quite spectacular lightning happening out there. Um, it's uh, you know I think you. you you get to iterate quickly with comics and in a kind of web three is web three, especially with a, if you've got a fan base and you've got an audience and you can like, great test this idea. Is this landing? Yes. Great. Let me put a bit more kind of money and time and effort into this. Great. Now is that landing? Yes. All right. Well, these ones don't land. I think you can, yeah, I think iterate is the only way to say it. I think you can, you know, test ideas and, and run through things kind of quickly. And that, that's, that's exciting from an audience perspective, um, and hopefully then paves the way. I'm sure you've encountered this a hundred times as well. It's the kind of, well, you know, you, you get stuck again in that kind of fear that the exec, that the, 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 the rival fears for the execs. If you could at least go into someone saying, look, this thing had X million views and they've got this amount of attention, it's got these. So they at least know, well, I can take this to my boss with the knowledge that 
someone else like this too. It's not just my recommendation. <laughs> you know, yeah, you get to mitigate that a little bit. That's a that's a really really good point because years ago, you know. I want to start a record or I want to create a record. I'm a musician or a comic book or write a book for that matter. Yes, yes. And you'd have to get an advance and you'd have to literally pay it back through your earnings, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And now people can, you know, we're, we're talking to so many different like illustrators, artists, and a handful of them are like very Japanime style. Nice. Um, and what they do is they'll drip out little sketches to their community. Yep. Right. And the community will be like, you know what? Overwhelmingly, this is like, we love this one. This one's so good. Uh, it's like, great. I was thinking of starting a more elaborate or an in-depth storyline with that particular character. Right. And they could use the fans, uh, not use them, but incorporate the fans into but their world. That's the thing. I think it is. I think so. That is where I think that is, has been the plus side of... There are many negatives to social media, obviously. Um, I think the positive, one of the positive has been that interaction, like you say, this kind of community. What's Jerry? You like what I do. How do I include my fan base in that process? You know, and that's, that's really special. And I think for, you know, I think we think about it in terms of this kind of participation spectrum, right? So there are the people who, they just want their Netflix. They want, their, they want to read what they want to read. They want to watch what they want to watch. They've got you know, great happy enough just to, to do that and then i think that moves through the kind of people that want to be engaged and they will really develop in a connection to these characters and what they're doing and this this story this franchise this thing this creator whatever that is there's there's real level of fandom and then on the other end i think is the kind of ownership and engagement and creativity for themselves and i think people tend to fall the majority fall and yeah i just want to watch and, and read and do whatever but I think we ne we exist on that sliding scale. And so what I think Web3 does in a very, not in a unique way, but I think it enhances that is the the ownership and the the, part the true participation uh, and engagement of fans with the creative process, playing within a world in unique ways. It's great. Yeah, and it is, you know, if you have a fan base, especially within this world, movies and comics and TV shows and gaming, people become fanatical and they, they're like two steps away from the creator or the, yes. the, 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 the illustrator or the, the animator. Uh, that's wildly, especially for younger folks who may not even know, they know they love comics, right. but maybe they're inspired to be a sound engineer or to be an illustrator or something to get involved. And then some guy, you know, 10 states over uh, asks you to help him on his project or yes. her. Uh, yeah. And that's amazing. And then yeah. ultimately the web three, and I, I want to unpack this a little bit more with you is, mm -hmm. is the, not just the connection, but it's, there is an, there is a real wonderful set of economics, trusted economics through web three, you could put in place. So, Hey, I need a, uh, uh, a lighting guy and a videographer. Can you help me out? Well, yeah. And by the way, you know, this NFT that you've got, you've getting, you're getting a special one because you helped out and you're taking a slice of IP and or uh, profit sharing. 
How yes. are, you, are you guys doing stuff like that? I mean, I know your NFTs can get, you know, crazy and bloated and weird. And how are you doing it? Yeah, it's, I mean, basically, yes. I, yes to everything you just said. I think obviously what we're seeing, I think, is the kind of bubble bursting some degree in the NFT market. I think obviously there's been a ton of projects are, uh, are collapsing. And I think it's not a bad thing. I think that kind of hype cycle breaking is not bad. Um, because I think the underlying tech and underlying, uh, yeah, tech, it, it, I think that's the important thing about this because it allows, yes, this kind of integrated fan base. It allows, you know, special, special things for, for fans of, of musicians. I mean, I'm sure you're aware of like Event Sevenfold and what they've done with their Death Bats Club and things like that. Like, and Ticketmaster incorporating that into the, the, the sales process for their latest tour, which allows the fans to get the best ticket, the true fans, the dedicated fans, to get it, doesn't really, and I think that stuff is really interesting. Um, and then yes, in terms of the participation and the, the kind of long tail of ownership that comes with these, um, yeah, part of what we're doing with these, with the kind of PFP collections that we're doing that we're producing comics from and is, Great, yeah, you've you've got your character and you've pitched your thing and we've produced this little two-pager and it's great and everyone's happy with it. Well, what if that character goes on to become Boba Fett? Well, you own a piece of that. You've got this baked in. It's in, you know, we're we're obviously always very diligent about avoiding the kind of securities angle of these things. Like it's not baked into the smart contract because Profit participation that like that just opens all sorts of that you know, gets very tricky. But what how we're doing it is a straight licensing agreement. It's like great, you own X character, you've pitched this story, we're now making a comic on that thing. Well, great, we're licensing that comic back from you, and in that license agreement, we're saying we're gonna pay you a percentage of royalties of this thing in perpetuity. So nine, again, 99 times out of 100 is going to be fun. It's going to be this thing. There's not really any money involved with it. But hey, you own, you the owner get this cool thing. Win-win so far. But let's say that thing becomes Boba Fett. Suddenly there's real money attached to that. And because you own this original thing and because we have that license agreement, you get to benefit from that. And that's hugely exciting as well. And, and we get to do it at a smart you know, at least initially, obviously it gets off chain, it gets like it gets complex, but at least initially we get to do it at a smart contract level where there's no Hollywood accounting, there's no hiding of funds, there's none of the crap that we see going on in terms of the advances and the this and the blah, blah, blah. It's just like, no, great, money comes in, gets split up, appears in your wallet, and there we go. Uh, that's that's exciting, and I think the the elimination of the, the potential as much as there has been this obviously explosion of scams in the crypto and NFT space, I think actually the tech can lead to the elimination of actually kind of corporate level finagling and, and malfeasance um, on some, to some degree, which is exciting. Yeah, and it, 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 there's tons of scammy rug pulls and whatnot uh, of course. all the time. Oh, yeah. but, oh, look you know, at fucking Wells Fargo. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah. well, like, it's not, you know, it's not unique to this industry. It's just was made very easy with an explosion of tech. But yes, sorry, I cut you off. I didn't. No, no, it, 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 it's all good. And these are all topics that we cover anyways. But because uh, <laughs> there's so many of them. Oh, my God. Yes. But as they as these, um, you know, uh, whether it's Terra Luna or FDX or any any one of these big 
you know, uh, Ponzi's or whatever yeah. you want to call them, scams, scams yeah. they weren't crypto. Number one, I always have to reiterate that for my audiences. Those were not crypto uh, experiences. Th those were just, you know, uh, Ponzi schemes yes. built on top of a casino. Yep. Um, and, and that is it, just to be 100%. Uh, 100%, yep. But, but to your point, these things are important and sometimes painful lessons to learn for yes. some people. Yes. Uh, if it smells rotten, stay away. If you don't know, if you don't see the founder's face on the website, do, mm -hmm. you might yeah. not want to, you might not want to deal with them. Yeah. Um, you know, if you don't know where their VC is coming from, yeah, think about it. You know, it's like everything else, but with this new, and I call it, you know, creator mm -hmm. community economy. Yeah. I'm already seeing it on the development side, meaning, they, all these Solidity and Rust developers, they don't want to be paid in fiat. They don't want yen. They don't. Right. They want Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever it is, and yep. they transact and do what they need to do uh, by themselves, full custodial control over yes. everything. Yes. But there is a groundswell of developers like yourselves and, and many, many others that have won a staff uh, ecosystem, a staffing ecosystem that works mm -hmm. on bug bounties, uh, reward systems, people love it. It's gamified work. Yes. Right. So um, I think we're not even seeing it just yet. That's why I like ideas like Macroverse, where it's putting a little bit of equity back into the fans hands. It's mm -hmm. putting a lot more control in the creators hands. And then 100%. all of a sudden you're going to see you, you guys will probably at some point have to build an entire platform just to help people manage their projects, perhaps. Yes. Yes. It's very much where we're heading. Like, I mean, I think the you know, the having started with the app and the app too is something, you know, we, we very consciously, I think partly, I'm sure you find this as well. It's like, as creators ourselves, we've been across the table for some really shitty deals. And it's like, every now and then you feel you have to take them because that's just what's on offer. But it's like, and so part of the way we approach dealing with the creators that we we work with is, would we be happy taking this deal? And if the answer is yes, well then that's something we'll kind of pursue. We try and be very creator friendly. So for the app revenue as well, because it's subscription-based app, um, what we do is basically split the revenue in half. Half goes into creator pool, half comes to the company. And then the creator pool gets divided up amongst all the creators in the app based on readership. Um, so that, again, you're directly incentivized. Like, great, your project is uh, 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 accounts for 50% of the, of the views this month. Well, great, 50% of the revenue pool for that month goes to you. And then obviously it you know, swings and roundabouts and it fluctuates. and But that way we are constantly looking to reward the creators directly for, for working with us and incentivizing their fans to reward them in these ways and then enjoy and expand and, and, and you know expand their own you know their experiences too so hopefully you know, you come onto our platform because you like Rich's stuff well great while you're on there you also check out Adam's stuff and Evan's stuff and Ricky's stuff and hey this is kind of cool too so then you as the fan get an extra you know you get an extra kind of exciting and extra you discover something else that you love you, the person that brought them in, benefits, and but then so, you know, so does everybody else, and that hopefully that kind of rising tide floats all boats, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. I think it, I think it's great, and I think it, it's so polarizing to see how normal business is done, and it's done, or or uh, I shouldn't say business in general, but brands, the way brands, because I come from a branding background as well. Of course. Yeah. And you know, the holy grail for a brand is to have your fans love you. Yes. The the icing to that is getting your fans involved. Now the, it's it's just like. We were talking about taking risks on a, a movie like The Matrix. Right. You have to take risks with your brands. You of have course. to let your audience have a little bit of control and equity into it, even if it's just, you know, uh, mental equity uh, yes. or, or, or just crowd support. You need, to, you need to let them do that. Yeah. And I think what's going to happen is when you let your brand go a little bit, People will embrace it, and artists will take it, break it, reinvent it, yes. you know, for good, for better or worse. Yes. Um, but you have to play in that world. And what Web3 does, especially for me, and the reason why I'm in this is because of cryptography, the idea of an algorithm helping two people or two parties trust each other. Yes. Humans can't do that. Right. You know, uh, animals could do that better than humans. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, so the idea is that is we have a trustless environment. What do you do with that? That's wildly powerful uh, and exciting. Yes. And I think we're just scratching the surface. And I like to see platforms like Macroverse really start to think about these things. Um, and certainly we could talk about DAOs, you know, maybe on another podcast but yes 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 well you know that's I, we feel like you know that that's that may be in the roadmap <laughs> I, I look I, I i just eked it out there uh i kind of figured you guys might be working on something like that yeah it, it goes part and parcel with the whole your whole audience your whole yeah. demographic yeah no exactly and i think it is you know there is it's i think what's also going to be good you know we're we're a little way away from that obviously um and I think it's great because we've seen what's worked with other DAOs, what maybe hasn't worked as well. How do we navigate those waters? You know, it's, it's, but it's all, it's all good experimentation. It's all interesting and it's all positive at this point. Yeah. Awesome. Now, just jumping back into Macroverse world here and kind of yeah. the mechanics of it a little bit. So everything that comes through your door, basically, I wouldn't say maybe they're collections or one-off pieces of art but everything is kind of wrapped in an nft correct so we've got two different things so we still have the the, the straight the, the kind of web 2 comp with the web 2 app as its own thing so there's a ton of stuff coming in there that's you know we've got a bunch of creators we're working with we've got a lot more content that we're starting to kind of get out there into the world now um and that's simply you come in you you know pay apple you're Five bucks a month, you you know that's just super simple, straight web two. Um, and then yes, in terms of the projects that we are working with directly, all web three based, um, we've developed uh, what we think of is this kind of new way of enjoying comics on the on through web three and through through NFTs, and really packaging. What we've done is developed a way of packaging a comic and putting it inside the NFT. So that you have this, you know, you can go on OpenSea and you can open this tile. We call it this kind of epic tile. Open this thing and you look and you can see here's the 
here's the collection I've got, here's an example of some of the things, here's the art that's associated with it, here's any additional pieces that we've put in there, you know, all the collections that we're launching with in this way, very much this kind of NFT specific version of things is different rarity tiers, you get different covers based on what you've got kind of, you know, copper, bronze, gold, silver, whatever. Um, different up you know starting with a kind of you know generally available base level all the way up to kind of one of one art from known crypto artists um as a way of just getting people excited and giving people something interesting um you can you know on OpenSea, you can tease the series itself so you can open it up and you can see a few things right there in the in the tile um, and then you bring that back to our website connect your wallet and then that opens up again our kind of web viewer version of the tap story experience that we developed for mobile so you get this beautiful wide screen uh rich reading experience of whatever series that you've bought as a as a digital collectible i like the idea of that those epics or the the, the tiles yes uh you know you flip it over and you got like here's the frequency we recorded the audio at like that i I did that with my some of my stuff where it was just a quick animation with it was more about the audio and so you geek out about it, the the specs on it and what was yep. it created on it was created on a Moog modular synth and yes. then now there's something interesting there and it, it's it, I I asked that question because people are like well I got this you know board apes thing you know NFT in my my wallet and you could check it out certainly on your phone but to your point really it's about that's just my key. That's just my ownership. That's yes. like, that's a lot of metadata in there that geeky people at a party would want to know. Yes. But when you're home and you're enjoying this medium uh, that you have, now you're in a, a more immersive uh, desktop environment. And dare I say, maybe it goes to um, AR and VR down the road, right? Well, exactly. And I think, we're... wow. Uh, it's getting good outside. It's exciting. You know, it's the, the joy of being down in Panama is you get these storms occasionally and it, they're quite impressive. Um, yeah, no, uh, you know, I think exactly. The immersive AR for sure. And I think that's where the experiences that digital ownership give you in that environment, I think the, the doors that could get opened there are just huge. Um, and the experiences that, you know, fans, everyday users can have is 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 kind of boundless. Um, and then I think the other thing that's fun you talk about the kind of the, the metadata aspect of it all. It's like yeah, so in the metadata of the 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 thing that you bought, the comic series that you own. Well, what if we want to? You know, we've got some cool behind the scenes. We've got some of the sketches that we want to do. Well, great, we can just upload that straight into your NFT, so it can become this enhanced thing. We can just you own this one, well, great. Everyone that owns this, we're just going to give this other series to because you enjoy this thing. We're going to, you know, the, the ways of enhancing those experiences that are unique to Web3 um, just get really cool. And I think, again, it's about, for, the, for, for creators, it's about how do you extend that connection with your fans and the people who love your work. It, that becomes limitless and, and different to... I'm just going to put this other sketch up on Instagram to see if people like it. It's like, no, I'm going to give you this other thing. And there's only 500 of these that exist. And now because you're a super fan of mine, you get this extra cool thing. Um, and the value of it is kind of neither here nor there. It's just 
because it's special to me because I'm a super fan, that's the value. It's not, yeah, my board ape JPEG is worth a hundred thousand dollars. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it, oh my gosh. The the whole board ape thing and the whole market tanking and it's like while I hope you really, really like the illustration of that board ape you got. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you'll print it or something like that or get a gold right. necklace for me and I don't know. Yep. Um but if you were in it for like a, a stock move or some kind oh, of yeah. get rich thing, no, buy no. art because you love it. Yes, hopefully exactly. it appreciates. Yeah, right? and that's ironically, really, yeah, exactly. Ironically, there are uh, art, like very well-known artists that do art sharing programs, and I think that's really cool. Like, yes, you know, wow, I've got, uh, you know, I'm partial owner in a Julian Schnabel, you know, piece yes. or whatever. Oh, were you familiar with, do you know Particle? Have you come across Particle? So they're doing something similar, but with NFTs. So essentially they were taking, so the first thing they did was a Banksy. It was the, it was the Banksy with the guy throwing the Molotov cocktails, but it's flowers. And it's mostly white with this thing, but they basically took that, they bought, they bought the Banksy, digitized it, fractionalized the, the you know, 10,000 squares basically, and then sold those, but those gave you ownership of the original piece of art. And the idea is they're building essentially a collection so that, and you know, yeah, to own a Banksy, you've got to be a multi, 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 multi millionaire, right? But now for 500 bucks, if I'm a fan, yes, there's still an investment. You've still got to be a certain level of, of you know, financial security, all that stuff, but. I want to spend 500 bucks to be partial owner of this Banksy or this artist that I love versus, well, I've got to spend $10 million to get this bloody thing, which is completely beyond my, what I could do. Like that's, again, I think some of the fun of Web3 and some of the benefits of it. And, and going back to your point about, you know, buy something because you love it. We're huge fans of, uh, of proof and everything they've done with that ecosystem. And their thing all along has been, Yes, there's money to be made here, but that's not the reason to do this. It's about the art. It's about the cool things that we can do uniquely in this space. And I, yeah, if you're, if that's your guiding light, yeah, you may make some money, you may lose some money, but at least you'll have something that you like <laughs> at the end of it. Yeah, you know, and we're seeing, we've had conversations with people who are doing fractional solar farms. So you could. Yeah, you could lease, you know, X amount of kilowatts a month and, you know, work off the grid and anything you don't like, you know, don't use, you can kind of resell it back to the to the grid or the municipalities. We've talked to people, oh yeah, it's clever. Yeah, so taking the the model that you and I know of NFT world and, uh, and actually expounding on that. And there are others doing it with rare bottles of wine. Yeah, yep, I've seen that. I've seen the rare wine. It's like, great, the ownership of this wine can be transferred with an NFT anywhere. You're not shipping it. You're not wrecking the danger of destroying this bottle. We were actually talking really interesting conversation last year with a Web3 lawyer who was, um, he'd been down the symposium in South Africa um, talking about using blockchain technology for government contracts because South Africa was a famously massively corrupt system in so many ways and heartbreaking for me because I spent a lot of time in Zimbabwe and South Africa there as a young man and I love that part. I, I love that part of the world with a passion and it's endemically corrupt and there were, you know, these 
you know, technologists coming in saying, we can solve a huge amount of this by putting government contracts in the blockchain, and here's how that would work, and you can then track this money comes in taxes, and we're allocating it over here, and here's what it got spent under. And of course, a huge swathe of people saying, yes, that's fucking brilliant, let's do that. And then a whole lot of other people going, God, no, that's my livelihood you're messing with. <laughs> you know, I make my money from skimming off the top of these things. You know, but so, no, the application of blockchain tech in way beyond what we know it as today, that's the, that is truly is the future. I think that is the exciting part of this, you know. Yeah, and Adam, you, you, you hit on another point that we like to bring up, and we <laughs> want to talk about it more. I don't want to deviate you and I now, but the idea of if you understand the fundamental mechanics of Web3 and cryptography, you would say, wow, and that's usually the tipping point when you finally put enough hours in and you finally yes. get it and you're like, oh my God, this actually could have the power, no, not actually, it does have the power to change humanity, to, has changed, to change society, to change yes. the world. Um, and you see it now in the United States, the SEC, uh, you're not allowed to do this. You're allowed to do. You're not. What, what, this is. It's not governed. It's not written into law. This is not a security. Uh, it, this, these are knee-jerk reactions, so that they can stall and or dip the market, so they can participate, which is horrible. Um, and they understand that through this technology, trust is inherent. If you go into that door you are offering everything to be transparent. And that is something, to your point before, a lot of people don't want that. That is their livelihood. Yes. You know what I mean? The yeah. Smoke yeah. and mirrors. Yes. Oh, no, the idea, I mean, look, you bring it back around, we talked about it kind of as, you know, the kind of Hollywood accounting system. I mean, the number of, number of horror stories of just the, the levels of corruption that the studios operate on to screw the filmmakers out of residuals, out of participation, other things, the stuff that gets charged against shows that shouldn't be there. You know, s s several people that I know engaged in kind of multi, multi, multi-million dollar lawsuits with major studios to get what they're owed because they produce this thing that people love and they could bloody well be paid for it. <laughs> You know, I mean, you look, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation, but yes. Absolutely, yeah. We have some friends and, uh, you know, music producers in Hollywood and, you know, film directors and whatnot. Yeah. And it, you're right, it's rife with that. And it's, it's, um, it's a shame. Now, talking tech, talking this, one of the topics that, I don't care who you are, it's unavoidable. Um, the idea of AI, right? So. Yes. If you talk to artists, designers, I remember when all this stuff I was months and months ago, you know, on the beta programs for a lot of these things, and I was able to form some opinions, and I do have opinions on this, obviously, but, mm -hmm. um, and, and it's, sometimes it's people are on the right or the left, or sometimes they're edging in the middle, but they don't know why, right? Right. Mm -hmm. um, how do you guys as an organization feel about AI and how potentially would you incorporate into your business? Great questions. And I think, you know, I, you, you're totally right about the, like so many things, it's quite polarizing, right? So it's, I think we know artists 
who say, this is really interesting. I want to learn more about it. How can I incorporate? You mentioned this kind of early on as we were talking. You know, how do I incorporate this exciting new thing into what I do, right? And I think that's that that experimental attitude in life. It is a bit like that. Yeah, no, I can do that and then figure it out, right? Yes, it's how do I, how can I use this technology to enhance what I do, um, and hopefully not then get kind of consumed by it because I think there is another group of artists obviously that are just and understandably very very anxious about this thing taking over what they do if I was a if I was a mid-tier concept artist at this stage I I would be quite anxious and you know I'd be I'd be definitely in the camp of how do I incorporate this into what I do so that I'm staying ahead of this thing and still valuable so that it's not an exec can kind of type some something into a into a system and into a computer program and spit out an example of what I want to do of what I have been traditionally producing. Um, so I think we look at it. You know, everything that we are dealing with, we're not AI focused at all at this phase. We're using it for fun promo images. We're playing. We're 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 using it for kind of fun engagement as opposed to trying to tell stories with it um, at this stage. Uh, we've, you know, experimenting with ChatGPT a little bit, but for us, again, we tend to approach that from the perspective of, all right, we've got an idea for a story and we're starting to do the kind of brainstorming, how does this work? We'll feed the idea into ChatGPT because right now what that'll do will be, wow, will be to produce will be to produce like the most obvious bog standard basic version of that story. So what we do is we plug in a ChatGPT. Here's the basic version. Great. Any idea that we've had that falls in that, we're going to throw out because that's the simple version. So how do we tell the interesting version of that story? Um, you know, uh, I still like it's funny because I'll play with Midjourney and things to some degree. But if I'm looking for inspiration for an idea or an image or a deck that we're working from or some reference image, whatever, I don't like using AI to do that. I will still go and scroll through DeviantArt. I'll still go and look at these you know, existing images because to me, that's what sparks my imagination. I don't necessarily, and I, you know, for me, it's partly, it's like casting. It's like, I don't always, if I'm casting for a, a live role or a voiceover, whatever, I don't always know what I'm looking for and then someone does it and you're like, oh, that's perfect. Like, you know, and it's, so to me, it's, it's not replacing anything at this stage. It's enhancing our ability to be creative. Um, and yeah, we're, you know, we're starting to explore. It's like within, within the storytelling aspects of what we've got. It's like, okay, well, can we incorporate some AI tech to help people develop their stories, even in particular places? Well, can we then take that and, and have them produce an image that's kind of featuring their character? Well, maybe, like, we're looking at how to kind of integrate some of that stuff, but to our mind, none of that is replacing. I have this idea about this thing, the story I want to tell, I'm going to write this story, and then we're going to talk to an artist and produce it in this way. Like, we're not circumventing any of that thing. We're just hopefully, it comes back to the iterating, right? We're hopefully we're helping people iterate on their ideas using some of this tech before taking it this direction.
Yeah, I, all great, great points, um, Adam. And, and it, it, you're right, it is a tool, right? It, it's yeah. a tool, um, mainly, it, it's it, like, if you want original characters, you, you're not gonna wanna use Midjourney. I'm sorry, yeah. you can get yep. some, push your mind into different corners of the universe, yes. yes. But ultimately, if you want something that hasn't been seen before, people don't understand, AI aggregates and grocks Exactly. Billions and billions of things that have already happened yep. or have been made, yep. right? So it's a great production tool. I've seen guys doing complete phenomenal storyboards, you know, movie scripts and commercial storyboards with it, uh, right. producing movies now with it. Um, I use it for audio stuff because I do a weekly wrap up, uh, a Web3 wrap up. That's not me talking. Oh, it's, wow. It's machine. Yeah, I had to, I trained yep. it. <laughs> I, trained my, I trained an AI bot to, to understand my language and it works yep. and you can adjust it over time. Um, but uh, to me, it's, it's like um, artists are the first ones to get upset, but then they'll adopt it, they will break it, and then they will reinvent it. Um, so I think, you know, the, the voice of the artists, particularly artists and designers and creatives, in this world, the AI world is very, very important, and we should all, we should all take notice and listen, because generally, these are the the men and women who are you know the creative folks who are kind of they wreck things, yes, because they can, yes, but they make something else out of it. So that's the idea of being an artist, right? Or yes. one of them. Yes. Um, so yeah. Uh, so as Adam, as we're wrapping up a little bit. Um, one, I want to know, are you guys going to be at Comic-Con or LA Comic-Con this yes. year? Yes, we absolutely will be. So uh, we'll have uh, my, I won't be, um, unfortunately. I'll actually be, I'll still be down in Panama when that happens. Um, but uh, my partners, yeah, Evan Matthews and Ricky Ricavino, the two partners will be there. Um, and then some of our other people, the people, the kind of fantastic people that we work with are going to be around as well. So no, we're, we'll be there in force talking to people. It's, it's, I'm actually sad i was meant to be back in la for a show and then stuff happened that meant stopped me from coming back as quickly as i wanted so i was i was actually very hopeful that i would make it this year uh but yes i miss it it's wonderful uh yeah it's it's uh, the first time i went it was a little overwhelming but um yes. i'll definitely be doing it this year making plans oh, good. For, for the new york one nice. uh, it's always a scene it's it's crazy yeah. Um, but Interesting I, I have that at San Diego this year that the studios are not going to be there in force in the same way. So hopefully that means it'll actually be less, uh, less kind of movie centric and a little more comic centric. It'd be nice. Yeah, that would be really because that's you know I like all the movies. Don't get me wrong. Of course. And it's cool that they have the actors come and yeah. you know sign autographs and do you know talks. But it's the little obscure weirdo. Yeah. comic dudes who are like selling original art and you know a bunch of comics with it and yes. maybe an nft like yeah. that's cool like i that's i cool. want to see the new stuff that's bubbling up exactly no that's what i found the last couple of times we did la a couple of years ago and i mean we're going to be doing la again this year as well and but that was what i found myself doing it's like i would just be trolling artist alley and the little independent presses and chatting with these people and getting numbers and, and you know it's actually there's a comic-con coming up in panama and i'm going to be doing the same thing there it'll be like great uh, I want to go and 
don't care about anything else that's going on. I want to go chat with local artists and hopefully find some really cool new unknown people that we can we can put to work, frankly. <laughs> that's awesome. If it's happening in Panama, yeah, you get like such a, a different lens on the whole thing. Yes. Right? Yes. And it also definitely helps. I mean, you know, right now the app is English language only, but obviously we're very focused on how do we expand South American market, Korean, Japan, you know, like those three markets we badly want to get into. Um, and so, no, they're starting to kind of branch out into those those communities would be great. Yeah. And 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 different beasts, right? Different yes. set of rules, different set of rules, different storytelling. I mean, I, you know, it was funny. I don't know if. Have you seen Attack on Titan? Have you watched Attack on Titan? Do you know Attack on Titan, the anime no, series? No, I don't know that one. No. It is. It's my son turned me on to it. It's, you know, it's a 20-book manga or something. Like, it's one of those insane things. It is legitimately, it's some of the best storytelling I have ever seen. It is spectacular. Um, and it is, it's consistently excellent in the way that Breaking Bad is just consistently excellent. Like, it's crazy. In a way that Game of Thrones, the best of Game of Thrones still to me is some of the best television ever produced. Season one. Season but one. Season one, one of the greatest, one of the greatest yeah, seasons yeah. of TV ever produced. The pilot, one of the greatest pilots ever Absolutely. produced. Like, and then there are these pieces in there that are just spectacular. And then it totally, totally jumps the shark if you don't totally lose. Like, but Attack on Titan, consistently spectacular. But the way they tell the stories is just a different ethos than the kind of US, you know, Eurocentric approach to things. And it is, like, I keep having these conversations with my partners as we're talking, looking at them, like, how do we do that? Like, what? I don't even know how to begin to break that down. It's just different, and I love it. Um, and so exactly, like that's the hope is, yeah. Yeah, and then hopefully we'll find some interesting, you know, we're working with a team out of Nigeria with a publisher in Nigeria and a bunch of artists out there. And they're telling really some really interesting, we're starting to kind of get some of their stuff ready for the app as well of like their local mythologies or sci-fi spins on their local. And I don't know, I mean, my wife is Nigerian Panamanian mix. I don't know any of this stuff, but it's fascinating. And it's a whole other world. It's a whole other approach to life. It's and and. It, it, it's just so that's yeah hugely exciting basically yeah so i'm hoping we'll be finding finding some of the same stuff down here and and different different mythologies different takes different ideas outside of the kind of eurocentric stuff yeah and and that myth that mythology that's been maybe uh hidden for many many years or yes. generations now yes. you get access to that to me that's a gold mine yeah no exactly i mean that's exactly exactly yeah. You know. Awesome. So um, as we wrap up a little bit, um, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've been so appreciative. I'm sorry. We go way, I hope it's not way over time. It's no, really no, it's totally conversation. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's all good. And this happens quite often. And, and, oh, good. And it's really good when it does. Well, hopefully um, your listeners haven't got sick of the voice yet. So, yeah, that'll be good. No, no, my voice. <laughs> Maybe my voice, not yours. Um, what do you what is Metaverse uh, um, Macroverse? Sorry. Uh, have in store for us? What are you guys working on? What do you, anything we should, you want to tease out? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, so we have, we're gearing up for our first big comics drop of this, the kind of Web3, unique Web3 comics and this, with this interactive style. So that's going to be a draft of five series. Um, we're still playing with like cost and numbers specifically, but we're thinking there'll be kind of a thousand of each 
uh, of each series basically coming out. Um, there'll be five different collectability kind of rarity tiers within each one. Uh, lots of great art, lots of great additions that we're putting inside these various things. Kind of really, really want to have some fun with that. So we're kind of in the last phase with the developers of like kicking the tires, test minting, what's not working. There's like three things left we've got to fix until we're kind of ready to go. And then once we've got like the yes, the tech works, then we'll you know be four weeks out from launch basically. But we want to make sure that that works so that the experience is seamless for, for, the, for the people coming in. Um, we're working with the Wanderers community directly right now. So that's this kind of community-based storytelling we've been doing. Uh, so we're in production on a whole lot of uh, short little two-page comics. And then we have like a longer form series coming out. They've got a game that they're uh, working on as well. So like their whole ecosystem is super cool. It's this kind of R-rated Star Wars vibe, tongue fun, slightly tongue-in-cheek, but really interesting. The lore is really deep to kind of counterbalance that. So like having a ton of fun with them, and I think that project is huge. And I think could, again, you talk about projects that are kind of go way beyond the the JPEG, as it were. Like they are up to so much great stuff, which is awesome. Um, and then we have another, uh, you know, we've got a number of kind of new media projects that we're working with. So we're in the process uh, of adapting a comic series called Remind. Um, and we're doing kind of an audio animated hybrid of that, which is super exciting. Um, we just started casting on that. So that's going to be fun. Um, and then working with, I can't say what yet, but we're working with a couple of game projects, developing out um, the kind of lore and the story kind of verse around them. So we've we've done that a couple of times as well now of there's been a cool project, they gaming, they, they're building a game out, but they don't quite know how to tie all the different threads together. And so we've come in and yeah, great. How do we make that coordinated? How do we bring these elements in? How do we create the kind of Bible for this world so that then you're building on a rock solid foundation? And then how do you expand that out? So got a couple of those things. But yeah, uh, between the launch for us and, and, the, and the Wanderers, that's taking up a lot of our kind of focus at the moment. You know, four or five other things coming down the road. Yeah, I see. I, <laughs> what, what, when I look at, you know, uh, a macro, you know, a macroverse kind of uh, platform and what you guys are doing, and, and I think to myself, oh my God, it is so much production. It's so much thinking. <laughs> it's so right. much, yeah. That's but as long as you got the, the pawns in place and the people in place, you know, you that's can... the thing. And that's very much like, you know, as, you know, I mean, Eben and I have done a ton, you know, Ricky comes from gaming and he's produced a ton, like multiple, 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 a hundred million plus downloads of games. Like he's got that sort of thing. So as we're getting more into the gaming world as well, like yeah. he's spearheading that. Eben and I have done a, so much animation over the years. We know what those pipelines, we know what it takes, we know, and obviously coming from live action, it's like, oh yeah, you know, we know you get, you get good at putting the team together. How do you do this? What do you do? What do you need? You know, we're still skinny. We're still a small operation. Like, we're, you know, we're, we're lean and mean as it well. Lean and not mean, lean and nice, but yes, <laughs> you know, fast moving and able to, able to, to kind of, adapt quickly and 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 roll with it but it's uh it's exciting it's fun but i think that's where the production like you say the production background comes in because you kind of know yeah. what you're getting into with any one of these projects uh which helps absolutely um okay good so so do you guys have any twitter spaces coming up uh, our listeners might want to 
Kind of uh, put Mark, put on the yeah, we do a weekly, um, actually Wednesday nights at uh, 4 p.m. Pacific, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern. We do a weekly kind of storytelling. Well, you know, uh, it's actually mostly through our. It's um, we're on our Discord, but it's through. Uh, oh my goodness, me, I'm now forgetting it. But it's on live on YouTube. It goes out everywhere, basically Twitter Spaces, YouTube, Discord, whatever. Um, so that's kind of storytelling, catch up, talking about what we're doing. So that's that's. Uh, our Discord is, uh, you know, discord.gg uh, slash Macroverse is our Discord channel. And then uh, Twitter is just Macroverse and uh, Instagram is Macroverse.hq. Macroverse HQ, I'm sorry. Yeah. So just, yeah, come hit us up on those. We're all very available, always around. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And for, for our listeners and our viewers, um, check them out. Macroverse. Please do. Fun stuff. If you're e even slightly into the comics and the movies world again you guys are kind of hitting the gas a little harder with the comics definitely uh, for various reasons that we just got into but i would imagine some of the you know this fandom and uh fan-based community you know building uh will come we'll start to see it happen with more with uh music and perhaps oh, yeah. movies obviously very much i mean the goal is the you know we're starting with comics because we love them and they're the kind of barrier to entry is is limited it's low rather um we're very much like the goal is to be a media company we want to be entertainment we want to be films television animation music is huge i mean i you know it's yes yeah we're we're in some conversations with some musicians at the moment as well which is kind of fun and like how do we how do we bring all these things together to make it this kind of cohesive ex fan experience that's that's the holy grail that's what we're going for Awesome. Well, uh, Adam, thank you so much for sharing your company, your vision, and a little bit of yourself with yeah. us. We really appreciate it. And I'd love to get more Macroverse uh, kids on the, the podcast, um, some of your Excellent. partners, yes. and, and yourself uh, again as well, and keep the story going and, and kind of this is evolving. It's not yes. uh, done tomorrow. It's, yeah, it's not a static. And nothing in this industry is static, right? Yeah. No, nothing. <laughs> great. And not only that, it just moves exponentially oh faster than it God, did. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that could be a whole other podcast for us. So oh, yeah. uh, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. And check them out, everyone. It's good Brilliant. stuff. Thank you so much, Rich. Really appreciate it. Hope people enjoy it. <laughs>